The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is Gurpreet Singh Johal. Gurpreet is an immigration lawyer and he came into the studio to talk about his brother Jack Tar, also known as Jaggy. Jaggy was abducted on the streets of India in 2017 and subsequently accused of seven murders by the Indian authorities. The accusation is completely unfounded and without any evidence, with no charges ever made and no trial ever held. He's now been detained and routinely tortured for well over a thousand days and the British government have done little to nothing in terms of providing any assistance whatsoever. The case is a troubling one and Gurpreet outlines the level of torture his brother has experienced, the anguish he and his family have faced throughout the ordeal and the ways in which you and I can help ensure that Jaggy is brought home safely and that his physical and mental torture is put to an end. Check the episode notes for links to petitions and ways to pressure the British government into acting to protect one of its citizens who's having his human rights violated on a horrific scale. Today, it's Jaggy in India. Tomorrow, it could be you in any country in the world. Cheers. Gurpreet, thanks very much for taking the time to, to come in today and have a chat. Thank you very much, Sean, for inviting me to allow me to speak about my brother. Pleasure. So, I mean, we'll just get straight into it then for, I mean, for the purposes of of the whole conversation. And if you want to just give me the rundown of, you know, what happened, why Jaggy was over there, you know, what kind of took place in the initial goings on. So, Sean, thank you again. Um, Jack Tur, also known as Jaggy, is a Scottish national, born and bred in Glasgow, and he travelled to India to get married on the 2nd of October 2017. He got married on the 18th of October, and he was due to come back to Scotland on the 1st of November. But he decided to stay with his wife to do her visa application, and basically is a newlywed, so he wanted to spend more time with his wife. And so he decided to keep his ticket open and stay with his wife. On the 4th of November, um, it's half past 10 in the morning in Scotland, and his wife phones, uh, crying. And I'm like, what's wrong, what's wrong? She's like, he's been taken, he's been taken. And I'm saying, what's going on? What do you mean taken? So my first thoughts were, I was still in my bed, got up straight away and thinking, he's been kidnapped because he's a British national. He's went over to India to get married. People will probably think he's got money on him and that's what's happened. So I've said to Jack Tur's wife is, look, go to the nearest police station, speak to our aunt to see what can be done. And she's just hysterical because her husband that she's only been married to for 14 days roughly has just been taken right in front of her eyes. Mm. So... Then all I heard from her was, can you please come to India, come to India? So the next morning I got a flight straight out. We didn't know where he was because we were told one thing, that he's in one area, then when the family went there, he wasn't there. I contacted the FCO in uh, London because that's the only thing I could think of at the straight at the time, and they had no information. So any information that I had, I kept relaying it to London. 
and London then phoned the alleged police station that he was supposed to have been held in and they just hung up the phone. So it became a bit of a more of a nightmare because the FCO were basically saying, we don't have consent to give you any information. And I was getting agitated at this point because I was giving them all the information. They didn't know anything at all. If uh, a foreign national has been detained in any country, in Jackter's case, then he should have, the Indian authorities have to inform the British government. They didn't do that. So for... From the 4th, he was taken into court. The family on the 5th, uh, sorry, 5th of November, he was taken into court and the judge granted um, a five-day remand, which meant that he could be interrogated. So from the 5th of November to the 10th of November, nobody knew where he was. He was eventually taken into court on the 10th of November. The British, British consulate was outside the court. Two solicitors were outside the court and Jack Tor was handled into the court in private and it's been told, the witnesses have told us that he was carried into court because he couldn't walk himself. So from the 4th until the 10th, nobody had ever seen, no, no one had seen him. He was then represented in court on the 14th of November 2017. At that point, this was the first time he had a conversation with his solicitor. At that point, he said... Slicer asked him, have you been tortured or anything? Because this is the point you have to say. And the first thing he said to the Slicer was, if I tell what happened, will they do it again to me? And Slicer said, well, if you don't say it now, afterwards the the judges, everybody's going to say you're a liar. So you need to either tell them exactly what's happened now. So at that point, he told the solicitor that he had been subjected to third-degree torture. He had been electrified to his nipples, his private parts and his ear lobes. And this all started from the 4th of November when they had abducted him. It continued on to the 7th of November. His legs were pulled apart. He was told that there's a petrol can was put in front of him and that they would burn him alive. They would do the same to his wife because they knew she was still in India. And so the, the solicitor at that point told... The judge, I want an independent medical examination. And I'm going to fast forward to where we are today. That independent examination is still not taking place. And my question has always been, if the Indians have not tortured him, then why are they not letting an independent examination take place? So nearly three years on, the High Court, uh, which, where we raised a petition, have still not allowed the independent medical examination to take place. But worthwhile noting is... On the 17th of November, Jackter was met by British Consular Services and they described him as vulnerable from that date. He still declared as vulnerable. On that date, Jackter was able to show, pull his trouser up and show marks on his legs. So the British government know he's been tortured. The British government also have a handwritten note that was given to them in February 2018. Because they, they didn't action this, I was forced to take it public. So that note then was published. And when you read the note of Jackter's torture, he details from the 4th of November to the 7th of November exactly what he went through, in which he was made to sign uh, blank sheets. So we don't know what the Indian government are going to be putting on to that. So I'm going to now step back, which is 7th of November. I was still in India at this point, and... 
the Chief Minister of Punjab and the highest rank police officer in Punjab held an open press conference and declared Jack Tor to be guilty of seven murders. And this took me by shock at that point, and it took the family by shock because they were like, get out of India right now, because we are worried if... Because me and my younger brother were there. If they detain you, then what do we do? Because mm-hmm. we don't know who's going to uh, look, uh, look out for you. So I was then forced to return back to the UK, and I arrived back in on the 9th of November. I was gutted. Gut is not even a word. I still have uh, nightmares of thinking. I left my brother in a foreign country and he had no access to anyone. I do regret it, but at the same time, if I hadn't come back, the Free Jagino campaign that was started off, which I'm leading, mm-hmm. then there would have been no one to lead that. So it's twofold <coughs> in respect that I had to come back in order to run that. So fast forward to 1,035 days He's still not been formally charged of those serious allegations that have been made against him, despite uh, claims being made in November 2017 that they had all the evidence against him. So he's been in roughly about 180 pre-trial hearings, uh, 40 trial hearings, and the one trial hearing that's uh, a minor case is the investigating officer has confirmed there is no evidence against Jactor but he's still incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And the other eight serious cases, the the charge sheet was presented in May 2018, and over two years on, he's still not been formally charged, even in that particular case, says it all. So my position has been, if he has done something, then charge him, allow him to have a trial and go forward, but you're not even allowing that to happen. Wow, I mean, a lot to unpack. The first kind of thought that I've got is, and it's obviously very easy for me to say as an outsider, as somebody who's not taking part in it, but I don't think you should, and I'm sure your family tell you the same, you shouldn't feel any, I can understand the guilt, but you can, you know, it's dangerous for you to stay there. And um, as you say, you've you've started the campaign, which I suppose is is the main thing. Um so are you going to say something now? I think I do, but at the end of the day, see when it's your younger brother and you have a responsibility yeah. for him, so it makes it that you still feel that you've left him in a foreign country. Yeah. And he's on his own, and we've not seen him face-to-face since uh, I left after his wedding. Are you just prevented from having any sort of contact with him whatsoever, like his only consular? And I know even that's limited. So Jack's wife was meeting him, and she's currently in the UK since April 2019. That's a battle in itself. The Mm. Home Office have refused her visa application to stay. And it's just a battle after a battle. I'm battling with the UK government to do more for my brother. I'm battling with the UK government to allow Jack's wife to stay in the UK because she's she has a right to stay here. Mm-hmm. And that's a battle. And then you're fighting with the Indian government to say, look, move this forward because you've nearly ruined three years of this guy's life. Yeah. Um, oh God, I, I don't even know where to start on this, but I'll just ask all the questions I have, if you don't mind. So in terms of the accusation, so he's been accused of seven murders. He, he was there for his wedding. So the murders actually took place from 2016 till 2017 and Jactor had not travelled to India since uh, 2007, sorry, 2008 when I got married. So he wasn't even in India at the time when these murders took place 
And the first time he traveled back was in April 2017 when we went on a family holiday. So the Indian government are saying that he has, they have the, all the evidence. Mm-hmm. Our position has always been then, so why did you give him a visa to come to the country for five years, let him into the country in April 2017, leave in May 2017, allow him to come back in October 2017, and then you knew exactly where he was. If you wanted to arrest him, then why not arrest him whilst he was there? Why mm-hmm. The manner and way he was abducted is unquestionable. It's because he had a, a sack thrown over his head and bungled into a van by 15 unknown men. So mm-hmm. nobody knew who it was. In respect of the charges, he's been alleged to be, he was the, the funder, that he funded these murders then he's been alleged to be the the mastermind of it. So their their goalposts have changed from 7th of November 2017. They've changed on a daily basis. And opposition, even Martin Doherty Hughes has said it, is there's been no openness, no due process and no transparency. That's what we've asked. We've said to you, abide by the law and allow him to have a fair trial. So he's been accused, as you've asked, is for being involved in seven murders. I mean, I would imagine I've certainly made the assumption and I feel like the person listening would make the assumption that the Indian authorities have dropped the ball um, and maybe there's public pressure. Do you know anything about that in terms of get somebody for these these killings that have taken place? Do you think that's kind of what has been their motivation? I think that has been the motivation in respect of trying to find because the governments were going through elections, etc. So they're looking at finding killers for these and Jactor fitted the role because Jactor used to write about human rights abuses for the Sikh um, 1984 attack on the Golden Temple. So he was documenting, researching, and they've just used him as a guinea pig is what we can see. Um, but we all know we're allowed to talk about human rights abuses, we've got the freedom of expression, and there was nothing in there that he was actually doing that was against the Indian state. Right, okay, so the... Obviously, they pre-identified them in order to get them, but do you think they've, that's been a specific motivation as well then because of the sort of shining the lights on human rights abuses? That's the only thing we can appear to yeah. think of. They wanted someone and they've got him. And Jactor, in the cases, is another 11 co-accused. One died um, whilst in prison, and this, the death behind that's suspicious as well. There's been a, a witness that was pressurised by the Indian state that committed suicide, left five children behind. And our own uh, paternal grandmother has passed away in India because of the constant uh, harassment that she had. The house that we own in India was raided firstly by the Punjab police, then it was raided by the National Investigation Agency. And during this, she's passed away. To the extent on the day of her funeral, the house was raided again. That's the kind of harassment that mm-hmm. we went through um, during the whole aspect of it. Which uh, which part of India is it? We're in the Punjab. Punjab. It's. Um, I mean, for, forgive me, because I don't know the sort of regional differences and all that kind of thing. But is that like a central part of India? Like whereabouts is it? So it's in the central. It's the main part of India. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, sort of a slightly taking it in a far far off region but do you believe in like hell or heaven because I feel like that by the sounds of it the people involved in this don't 
they're not, they don't seem to be standing themselves in good stead for whenever they have to meet their maker. Like, how how could they live for themselves? Is there, like, constant press coverage of this in India or is it sort of swept under the rug? So in India, what happened was in December, when you asked about the public pressure aspect of it and it's just a way they're trying to do something, in November 2017, Rory Stewart was the South Asia minister in parliament he got up in parliament and when he was asked a question by martin doherty hughes he categorically stated if a british national has been subjected to torture we will take extreme action Mm. since that day the british government have taken no action but they put the indian government up by saying well we're going to take some kind of action after that what the indians did was they released an interrogation video so whilst Jack was supposedly supposed to be interrogated, they, and they put this live on TV, and they put it out to say that he's a terrorist, he has uh, confessed to these crimes. When you actually read it, or sort of listened to it, and media here listened to it as well, they had it translated, there was nothing in there yeah. to say that he had done it. But what came to question was that they made it a trial by media at that point. Because yeah. at that point... The Indian state are thinking, we want rid of this guy. Mm-hmm. And the people were starting to think that. And that was the amount of pressure put. But that was a result of not the UK government saying they would take extreme action, but the Free Jagino campaign basically within days of it starting, actually within 24 hours of it starting at the weekend, I came back in November 2017, it became international. Mm-hmm. We had support from Australia, Canada, New Zealand, America, UK wide. So it came to like on Facebook, uh, social media, all you were seeing was his face, mm-hmm. British national tortured to the extent even the sun covered it. Um, and it was British nationals, testicles electrocuted. So it like, it had the impact yeah. straight away, but going forward, like the national media coverage has been limited. Mm. Uh, it's like the Times have covered it, the BBC Scotland, the STV and the Scottish National. In fairness, I'm mentioning these because they've repeatedly kept raising Jack's plight, making yeah. sure people are aware of it. And when the Thousand Days came up, when any anniversary comes up, they want people to know so that it's not Jack's not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, like Sean what I said earlier to you, was he's a British national, Scottish national, born and bred in Glasgow and York Hill uh, mm-hmm. Hospital. So it's not as if he doesn't have the same rights that you have or any other white Scottish person has. This is what's been abused. His Article 3, um, Article 6 and Article 8 have been abused of the Human Rights uh, Act. Article 3 being right not to be tortured, Article 6 a right to a fair trial, and Article 8 being a right to family life. So mm-hmm. surely anyone looking at that can realise that a British national's human rights have been violated on an international platform. The Indians don't have any shame because they keep doing what they're doing. Their position is we have all the evidence against them and we're going to charge them. And their position is, well, you've not charged them. Over a thousand days on, yeah. nearly three years on, you've not charged them. How? What? What is the? Because you're saying when when the um, when the campaign started, you're getting support from everywhere, and even the Indians are kind of like, right, shit, we want to just have this guy gone. But it's not as if they can just go. Actually, wash your hands. We got it wrong. So there's there must be some sort of 
there's obviously pushback and resistance from them. Do you think like a sustained pressure and and increasing pressure has it been? I don't know if there's been precedents or like cases before where that eventually does invoke some sort of action. See, what it is is the con- the consistent pressure is what makes the Indian government come back and reply. The UK have been putting their diplomatic lobbying, but they've not got anywhere as far other than actually getting to meet him. Mm-hmm. That's as far as they've got. Whereas the campaign pressure, we had a protest outside Down- Downing Street, um, I think it was 19th or 20th of August. And within four hours of that protest, we had the Indian government reply back to the campaign and saying the campaign are liars. So, and that's the Indian High Commissioner in London replying yeah. through uh, media. So it's, it's the impact, the, the pressure, the constant pressure it has from the campaign and even the public itself is what's going to actually get Jack her back home. Mm-hmm. Because there has been other cases where you've got a Chennai 6 where the Indian government really screwed up a lot of lives yeah. there. I've been speaking to Yvonne um, and Billy, who I admire Yvonne because yeah, what she great. went through, what she did, etc., to get her husband back, being white Scottish, going to India on her own. Super uh, women, aren't she? Yeah. Uh, credit where credit's due. Yeah. I met them both um, when we there was a parliamentary event by Redress and... Just talking to Billy and talking to Yvonne, it was like, and she like, you know what? The, what helps is even being able to talk to people mm-hmm. and having that support. And she met some good friends in India that helped her through all this. And it's just made their relationship stronger. But mm-hmm. what it does is it also taught me what their experiences were with the FCO. And it taught me how to keep the pressure up. So through uh, Yvonne, I've started meeting other family members in Chennai 6 who are now becoming supportive of the the case. The issue being that Jackter's case has not been given the media attention that it should have. If it had been, then everybody would know about Jackter. Yeah. But because it's not been given that attention, it, that's where the downfall has been. I can only do so much with the campaign of putting the story out to the media but it's the media that have to then go on to report it. Because, mm. I mean, it seems to me, because I didn't know anything until Yvonne told me, and then I thought, how have I, no- how have I never seen this? This is absolutely appalling. Like, this is horrendous. I mean, first thing kind of springing to mind in terms of pressure that I can't remember where I was reading either. I was reading something, and it was related to Jagtar's case, and it was saying that you'll just be ignored until there's a sustained collective pressure or onslaught from ordinary members of the public, as well as like media and stuff. Because I think media outlets are one thing, but if um, government bodies or foreign uh, states start to realise, wait, there is a sustained collective anger or uproar, they're forced to at least respond. So, I mean, like social media, like like Twitter and stuff, it gets a, it's a bad rap, rightly, because it's a bit of a hell site. But... It is a great tool for, you know, bombarding people and, and making them go, oh, shit, we better do something. I mean, first of all, I suppose the links to these things will be in the episode notes. And to you listening, I would encourage you. It will take you, what, a couple of minutes and you're really helping to do something. And you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to bother because it's just one. But if everybody thought that way, we wouldn't have anything. But if a thousand of you decide to do it, then it's really going to help. So... 
what are the, do you have other like petitions and links and stuff that can be signed? Yeah, there's a change.org petition that's currently ongoing, which is, it was raised by a volunteer that really looked at Jack's case and thought, we need to do a petition. She went off her own back, asked me for permission and did it. I think it's just over 115,000 signatures on that. So that's something that can be done. I think, the, the, to be honest, the constant pressure is on your MPs mm-hmm. because what we found on before the thousand days, Jacta was trending in Canada, uh, America and UK on Twitter mm-hmm. because the youth really got on top of it and they really put out the MPs because the MPs are supposed to look out for their constituent. And it was they were writing letters to the MP, they were writing letters to Dominic Rabb, they were writing letters to Lord Ahmed and basically putting pressure. So the government then have to start replying to those uh, replies and then they have to start taking action from it. So it genuinely it's showing the outrage of what's happened. But like Sean, what you've said is one person, a thousand people can make a lot of difference. And they might think, it's just Jack Turn. He's a British national that has had his human rights violated in a foreign country. How many of us travel on a daily basis outside the UK? How many cases have we seen where British nationals' human rights have been violated? And then the only reason we have the uproar is when they're convicted or somebody picks up the story and says, by the way, something should have been done. Mm-hmm. So it's not just Jack Turn today. It could be tomorrow, it could be you in a country that you've travelled on holiday. Absolutely, because it was through when, so to give you listening a sort of insight into who Yvonne and Billy are, so Billy was part of the Chennai Six who were wrongfully detained um, and kept in Indian prison for about five and a half years and then they wouldn't give him his passport back for the last year. Um, and the FCO, which is, what does that stand for? The Foreign Consulate Office? Foreign Commonwealth Office. Commonwealth Office, bastard, I was closer. <laughs> um, the FCO is basically who assists um, businesses and British nationals around the world. So, for example, if you are steaming in Magaluf or Zante and you get in trouble, in theory, the FCO would come and assist you and if, if you needed it. Now, I always assumed wrongly that they were duty-bound by, you know, your rights as a British citizen to, to come and assist you, but it turns out that it's at their discretion and as they see fit. Now, to that, I'd be like, well, what's the fucking point then? Like, what is the point in you existing if, if you're only going to come? It's like a lottery then. So it then becomes a sort of, um, what would I call that? I don't know, elitist, because let's just say he was an Oxbridge, Jaggy was an Oxbridge educated son of a lord. He'd have been out of there within days because he would have deemed it to be to be um, absolutely urgent. But they haven't. Now, we discussed sort of off air what we think that is, but the reason for that is, but why do you think, um, for the purposes of, of explaining, obviously, why do you think they've just deemed that not to be urgent? So one thing I want to just add to that, Sean, is everyone that's listening please grab your british passports and read the front page on it and it tells you exactly your the british government are making a request to any country that you're in so the consular services etc are not deemed to be there uh, and you're they're asking the other country so when we think we're british nationals we have all these rights we're protected with this red passport we're not yeah. so it's worthwhile knowing that in terms of the FCO, the now it's changed into, I think, this uh, Foreign Development Office with the rebranding. How much is the like here, lads? People keep hammering us, like, just change the name and hope nobody notices. 
So they've put two uh, units, uh, two departments together now, and that's going to make it even worse. But the the position is consular services is not embedded in law. And this is a campaign that the British Rights Abroad Group have started, which I'm a co-founder with Richard Radcliffe, whose wife is detained in Iran. Yeah. Um, we've got Yemi Tesegi, whose husband was detained in Ethiopia and he was released. Daniela, Daniela Taneja, who's the wife of Matthew Hedges, who has been, who helped bring him back. And we also have Vaughan involved in that. So there's five families involved. And what we're saying is that it should be embedded in law because the FCO pick and choose what they're doing. And when they pick and choose or what they want to give to what person, because it's not it's nothing embedded, they use a policy and they use it as to as to the way they want to please. So it should be embedded in law. So it's something that what I found with the FCO was when this whole thing happened, I went to the caseworker in London in November 2017. A trainee caseworker was given this case, despite the public outroar before this, and the trainee caseworker had made a mistake. But I've been a trainee solicitor. I've made mistakes. You know, I put my hands up to that guy because he turned around and said, look, I've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm a trainee. This is what's happened. Is your mattress making noises it never used to? Or is it sagging, causing you to... Then it's time to get a new one. Get the best sleep at the best value with a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. And you can't fault him. He's made a mistake, genuinely. Mm -hmm. But it's his bosses that have a responsibility to yeah. it. But see, when I spoke to the bosses, the first boss that came on said, no, no, he's correct. This is what's happened. I said, have you read the file? And she's like, um, and I said, don't talk crap to me. I know exactly what's happened. The person's held his hand and I give him credit. Mm -hmm. But see you, I don't because you're his boss and you're trying to blag your way out of this. Yeah. Then the senior person of the FCO got involved and it was that point that they actually started taking us serious. We had the protest outside uh, London at the FCO office and they started taking us serious at that point. But we had a meeting with them on that day and said, look, there's human rights abuses that the UK have always let India buy with. Mm -hmm. This case is quite serious and you need to take appropriate action as soon as possible because he's been declared vulnerable and I count, I'm count myself lucky because see the consular service staff that had met Jackter at that meeting, luckily I got to speak to her. So she told me frankly on the phone, she goes, your brother's given me consent to speak to you, he has no issues and this is what's happened. I honestly hands up to her as well and I'm grateful she told me what happened. Mm -hmm. That could have been taken away from me because yeah. if I hadn't spoke to her, I didn't have this information, the FCO may have hidden it from me. Mm -hmm. But the FCO then frustrated, more actions being taken. They're like, we need Jackter's consent. We need to do this. We need to do that. And I said, well, he's given you consent that I can take action on his case and 
you can speak to me and I can give you instructions. So what, what's your problem with it? That became an issue and that took months before getting over the consent aspect of it. So that was something that wasn't there. There was a human rights lawyer that they had in our meeting. And I said to her, look, I'm a human rights lawyer, immigration asylum solicitor in Scotland. And if someone tells you they've been tortured, how quickly do you want to move on that? Do you yeah. want to wait years before you move on it? Or do you want to be moving on that as soon as possible? Nothing availed from there. And it came to the point, even redress joined. Redress, had we had a meeting, initial meeting with Redress. I was on the phone and a couple of the campaigners were in the office. It was supposed to be a half an hour meeting. It ended up being two and a half hours. Just because when they start listening to what had happened, and this is just November until November, so within a couple of weeks. And now we're trying to explain what's happened over the last nearly three years. So the FCO have been given so many ways of assisting them. The IRCT, which is International Rehabilitation for Convention of Torture in Turkey, have looked at Jack's handwritten note and said that we can see that it's evidence of him being tortured. They're happy to facilitate an independent medical examination. The UK government have failed to even ensure that's happened. So their position has been that we cannot intervene in another country's law, um, land of the law, and my position's been, well, I met somebody else who showed me this is how many times the UK have intervened when it feel, when mm -hmm. they feel to do so. So in some cases, diplomatic protection's been given. For Jactor, it seems to be we're asking them to have an independent a, a, an inquiry into the allegations of torture, a right to a fair trial, and we've got consular service, and that's enough. And mm -hmm. I'm like, that's not enough. So what is the, what do you think their reasoning is? Is it because they see that there's a, a greater financial benefit for them not to upset the Indian authorities? Or? Well, that's what it's appearing to be with mm -hmm. Brexit looming and trade deals. Because every time India and UK have talks about trade deals, they're very quick to uh, boast about it. We've just had this conversation, we've had that conversation. And when it comes to discussing Jactor at, at that forefront, then they go back and say, yeah, we're raising the case. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure if you wanted, India and UK want trade deals, this is an easy bargaining chip. Jactor's going to be a thorn that's going to be coming back to bite them each time because mm -hmm. at the end of the day he's a British national yeah. and India know that the pressure that was put on one of the things I want to say is that we had to do that campaign in November 2017 we couldn't just brush it under because in 1984 a lot of Sikh youths were killed they were taken away abducted and they were killed and we didn't want the same to happen to Jactor so we didn't have a choice uh, other than make it public because now at least we know he's alive. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. fair enough. He's thousands of miles away from us and we don't get to see him as much. Well, we don't, we've not seen him, but we've had four conversations with him. But at least he's alive at the mm -hmm. end of the day and we're not talking about a dead person. So this is where the... This is why we had to put the public pressure on just because we know how the Indian state work. And if you want to think about it yourself, if you tortured a British national, regardless if he comes out tomorrow or he comes out in 10 years, where's he coming back? He's coming back to the UK. And once that national is in the UK, he's going to tell exactly what happened. Yeah. So you would want to hide that. 
So this has been our position with the Indian and the UK government is say, look, he's coming back to UK. The longer you prolong this, the worse you look. And the relationship between India and UK doesn't look good. But at the end of the day, all we're asking you is uphold the basic rights of a British national, which you're failing to do. Mm. I mean, if you listening, if you're as incensed as this, but as I am, I would encourage you to get involved in bombarding whoever you can, whether it's writing to your MP, whether it's signing the petition, whether it's tagging the FCO or your local MP in a tweet, because that's the way that, that we get action. Uh, in terms of... Because, I mean, I understand it's difficult for just a standard MP to do something, but Martin Doherty Hughes is a good guy. I met him a few times. Uh, how how helpful has, has he been? I would imagine he would be fighting the case. Now, Martin's been amazing in this. We can't doubt uh, his capability of what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. It's we, limited, isn't it? Yeah, it's limited to the extent that he's raising the cases in Parliament, but when Boris Johnson made Lord Ahmed the the minister for South Asia, and he's a lord. Hmm. So he can't even go and ask him the questions. Yeah. That was a, a fly one from Boris Johnson, whereas all the other uh, ministers, etc., he could raise the question in parliament. So that's been a, a back step for where Martin is able to do things. But he's raised the case in every level as possible. To be honest, the SNP in the Scotland are all supportive of Jactor and the campaign mm-hmm. and the human rights abuses that have been taking place. But the problem is because it's a UK government uh, issue, yeah. the SNP have not always been heard. That's the downfall that we've had. But that's not to counter Martin because Martin's raised it in every way. Yeah. Sometimes he would send me a message and say, watch uh, PMQs or watch the questions and I'm asking a question and that's without me prompting him so in terms of him he's doing what he can but the more support he has even if it's cross-party MPs supporting him it just makes it more stronger because Mm -hmm. then that puts pressure on Lord Ahmed, Dominic Raab in order to take further action. The protest we had at Downing Street we're asking for Boris Johnson's intervention because he was a foreign secretary when this whole thing started. He was supposed to meet with me. Johnson was? Yeah, Boris Johnson was, and he was supposed to meet me at that time. And if you, if you speak to Martin, Martin will say there's been three foreign secretaries, I think three prime ministers since this whole thing's happened. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say it in a way that would seem uncaring or unkind, but I mean, they don't give a shit about Jackie. They don't give a shit about me. They don't give a shit about you. I mean, they care about themselves because if they did... They would be they would be doing something. Um, they would be at least have the courtesy and basic human decency to respond. Uh, and to you listening, they don't give a fuck about you either. And if that doesn't get you raging, it, it, it fucking riles me right up. Again, I'll say it for the third or the fourth time. Sign petitions. They might seem like like they, they don't make a difference, but I think we've seen even in the wake of the Black Lives Matter thing how much can happen if everybody just gets behind it, and it has to start somewhere. Um, oh, there was something else I was going to ask. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Like, I don't mean to to prod in anything that may be painful or sensitive, but just to get it across as well to people listening. I mean, it's obviously difficult for him. He's out there, but how is it for you and your family? Like day to day, it must really have an impact on your enjoyment in life. So my life's been on hold, basically. Yeah. Um, I was in a job that I really wanted to take on uh, as a solicitor and I just newly started into that job just getting into it and it was further away from here 
Um, but I had to leave that job and the job I'd left, they offered me a position. So I ended up going back into that role. So I buried my head into that job initially to just get that department up and going and then be and doing everything I can for my brother. Uh, that's all it's been. And every day I'm waking up. I know you say you shouldn't take it hard on yourself, but every day is a failed day until he's back. And I've had support around the world and said, do not talk like that. But at the end of the day, if he's not back, it is a failed day. If mm-hmm. he's back here, then I can say I've been successful with what's happened. Mm-hmm. So our life's been whole on hold. My, I've got two young kids who are always missing their uncle because he really got on really well with them and he spoiled them, etc. And mm-hmm. he's been there from day one. And so they're all missing him. But it's, it's, think about this. You've just got married two weeks. Think about how his wife's feeling. I know. Um, being having your husband abducted in front of you with a hood over his head. And so it's, it's a nightmare for the full family because my mum passed away many years ago, which was hard for my maternal grandparents. Now to see their grandchild and they're helpless with what they can do. So yeah. it's, we've all been restricted. We've not been able to travel to India because my family fear if I travel to India that I'll be questioned or harassed, mm. be even detained. So they don't want me to take that risk. And my dad wasn't able to go to his uh, paternal aunt's funeral just because of the harassment angle of it. My wife was not able to go to her own brother's wedding. And I felt really bad at that point because she did everything for Jack's wedding mm-hmm. and she wasn't able to go to her own brother's wedding just because we were scared at the fact that if they detained her, harassed her, they would try and... Because the Indian state are known for harassment, uh, making women nude in front of relatives just in order to shame them. And if they had done that to her and made him sign something of a confession, then that's his life screwed. Yeah. We didn't want that to happen, so we had to take a family decision in respect of it. So it's been hard uh, each day. I, I spend my most of my time buried into work, and if I'm not working, I'm travelling up and down the UK so there's no annual leave for me. Mm-hmm. It's basically fighting um, Jackter's Corner, protests, meetings. And that's, for the last nearly three years, that's what my life's been. Mm-hmm. He's he's, fought, he's very lucky to have, obviously, a supporting family and brother, which is not too much of a consolation. But I suppose in the long run, if you didn't have you fighting his corner, it would be in a, a much worse state. I mean, I would hope as well that the FCO, I mean, I don't know. For me to suggest that people power or whatever could could change government policy might seem ludicrous and radical, but it has to start somewhere. And while, okay, you can't demand or you can't change the fact that, okay, the UK government can't just walk into any country and go, we'll be taking him. However, we can demand that they come as a matter of urgency. I mean, this whole thing about being... It being at their discretion is just absolutely insane. I See, mean, to add to the people power aspect of it is when we had a... After the protest, um, fortunately, I was allowed to be on the Radio 4 on a Sunday programme. Mm-hmm. And a QC from a high-named chamber listened to the radio, found my email address and emailed me at work and said, Gurpreet, how can I help? Mm. 
this is the kind of thing that happens when you raise awareness with yeah. other people. Hamina is an advocate in Scotland and she has just prepared a, a, dra a working, uh, sorry, a submission to the working group of arbitrary detention. And she did that as a colleague that I've worked with, as a friend. Mm -hmm. She did it pro bono for me and she's like, no, your brother's my brother. Just because people think he's brown does, doesn't make much difference to me. Um, I'm going to do this because there's human rights violations out of this. And as a result, she's prepared and she's getting other people involved and saying, look, human rights violations yeah. are taking place. Why are you not getting involved? So what we found is the more awareness we raise, the more that people get to hear about it, mm -hmm. the more people get start to get involved. Like we're on Facebook, the Free Jiggy Now, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the information's there. And it's like... Anyone listening to this will be saying 1,035 odd days have went by and he's still not been formally charged. Everything's there. I don't even need to say anything else exactly. after that. So I don't ask you for much. I don't really ask you for much at all. Occasionally I'll say, feel free to share this episode on social media, but I'm asking you to share these links and to share these and to spread awareness or tell people or share the episode because... Until he's, until he's released, until there's any movement, then I don't think we should be stopping. Um, is there any points that I haven't covered or anything that we've missed? No, I think um, we've got most of the points. I'm grateful for the continued support that we are getting, not just the Sikh community, out with the Sikh community. Um, it's been amazing. There is a, a white couple in England that don't even know Jack Tor. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm mentioning colour, because some people look at colour and think Jack is a brown guy, doesn't have any rights, who cares about him? And there's a white couple in England that have, don't know Jack Tor, that have attended every protest off their own back, mm -hmm. any conference that I've been in to support him, because they've seen that human rights have been violated. Whether he's guilty not guilty, they don't care. They're seeing human rights violated mm -hmm. and the British government not doing anything. So that's for the listeners as well, is Jack Tur's not just a brown guy. He's a guy that's born and bred in Glasgow. He's educated in Glasgow. He has every rights that you guys have. And we need to take action. If we don't take action now, this could be you tomorrow. It could be your loved one. Fortunately, I have a legal background and I've been able to document everything with the FCO. There's enough to write a book with the issues that they've caused and mm -hmm. I've got it documented. Not everyone's as fortunate as that because the FCO will try and speak to you on the phone so there's no records of what's happening. Yeah. They'll have a record, but you'll never have a record so you can't call them out on it. So this could be you, it could be your loved one. And we don't want that to happen. So when, I'm not just fighting for my brother. This is overall for everyone because we don't want this happening again to anyone. Absolutely. You know, actually probably as good a time as any to mention. So somebody else I've been speaking to, um, a girl, Jasmine. So her dad, his name's Malcolm. It's Farron, I believe. I'm really sorry if that's pronounced Farron. He's from Dundee and he's currently homeless and living in an abandoned building in Dubai. So basically there was some issue with a check which he had notified that the story is he was renting a villa in Dubai he was made redundant so he went to his landlord and he said look by the way I wrote you a check 
for the next six months or the next 12 months or whatever. I know you've not cashed it because it's not to be cashed for like another three months. Like he was paying in advance. He said, look, I've been made redundant, so we need to just leave. So they moved out of the villa, but the guy tried to cash the cheque anyway. The cheque um, obviously bounced and he has been detained in Dubai, passport taken off him. And he's not he's not allowed to leave until he clears his debt, but he's not allowed to work because he's basically been charged as a criminal or whatever. And again, the FCO just, they're like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, there's nothing really we can do to help. This guy's been living homeless in Dubai for three years. Obviously, we're in the COVID situation as well. Poor guy is in a real mess. Um, I've shared links to that as well. So that is a, a, the absolute, uh, just the uh, epitome of what you're just talking about, that it could be anyone. So there's a, a white Scottish guy for Dundee who's got a nice family, lovely kids, and he, and he can't get back. So I think people forget, Sean, is that this could be them. Yeah, and people, good. people take like you said, you could be out boozing and getting mad with it and magaluf, <laughs> and you don't realise. You just think you're protected, Aye. and there's a lot of youth, there's a lot of youngsters that do that. They go out, and who's protected them? We had that case. Was it in uh, Greece or Ayanapa? with that young girl and look oh, at Jesus, I. But do you see what I mean? It's not until the conviction and what the court services did that. Uh, actually caused public outcry. Yeah. But that should never have happened in the first place because yeah. she should have been protected at that point. I've get, I have get every faith in the younger generation um, because while well, I have my criticisms at times, their activism levels are brilliant and uh, they don't stand for injustice. So I've got every faith that they'll help it pick up a wee bit of traction. But um, I completely wish you all the best with whoever obviously on air and off air if I can help with anything, whether it's sharing anything or just trying to help drum up a wee bit of thing me then I will at any time. And if you ever want to come back on, if there's any updates that you want to share or anything you want to kind of drive a bit of traction to, then please feel free anytime. No, thank you very much again, Sean, and thank you for all the listeners listening. Please uh, follow the Free Jiggy Now campaign on Facebook, Twitter and social media um, and you, Instagram and you'll get all the information there. And there'll be ways of how you can help. As Sean said, the youth is what will make this movement stronger mm-hmm. um, and the elders will give um, their experiences but it's a youth that I'm calling out for to help mm-hmm. all those links are, you'll find them in the episode notes and if you've made it this far I know that loads of journalists listen to this so what are you waiting for lads get right now articles as well eh? cheers Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. From The Big Light Studio. Escape your everyday with out-of-this-world action. From the gritty apocalypse of the Walking Dead universe to the cyberpunk realm of The Watch and the criminal underbelly of Gangs of London, AMC Plus is more than entertaining. It's epic. Feel all the chills and thrills with Shudder's Halfway to Halloween Month. Experience Shudder's biggest month of horror featuring a new season of Creepshow and new movie premieres every week. All available ad-free and on demand. Start your free trial today at amcplus.com.